This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 73. My name is Eric Kimberling, and this is the leading podcast that you can find on digital transformation among those that are named after David Bowie songs. Uh, If you didn't know, this uh, ground control concept uh, came from a song called Space Oddity by Dave Bowie. And uh, there's a reference in that song to ground control, and ground control is talking to a fictitious character named Major Tom. And... Major Tom is out on a space journey. Ground Control's talking to Major Tom. Major Tom's going through a bunch of adversity and challenges in space. And since I love rock and roll and I view digital transformations as a uh, an analogy to space travel, and my company Third Stage is named after uh, is named after uh, space travel, among other things. That is um, what this podcast is named after. And uh, not only is it the leading podcast among digital transformation podcasts named after David Bowie's songs, but it's the only one that I know of. So thanks for being here today. Glad you could join. We've got an exciting show for you here on episode number 73. Three major segments we're going to cover here today. First, we're going to talk about agile versus waterfall in digital transformations. And we've touched on this a bit in the past in previous episodes, and I've done a couple YouTube videos on this exact topic, but I actually want to go to some conversation that I recently had on LinkedIn. Um, I'm going to actually pull up audience comments or uh, connection comments of people that I'm connected to that are following me on LinkedIn. And we had a really good conversation and a really good thread going on this whole discussion of Agile and whether or not it's relevant to digital transformation and enterprise technology implementations, what some of the pros and cons are. So I'm going to talk about that and unpack that concept a bit in the first segment here to start off. And then later in the show, uh, we are going to have our first guest, uh, Greg Benton, who is our chief strategy officer here at Third Stage Consulting. He's going to be on the show talking about enterprise technology in 2025 and the future trends of enterprise technology in 2025 and beyond. So we're going to look at some of the big picture trends and evolutions of technology and sort of where the whole industry and the market is headed. So that's going to be coming up next uh, in the second segment. I'm actually going to talk a little bit too. There's another segment sort of in in a segue in between the second and third segues or the second and third segments where I'm going to talk a bit about Stranger Things in digital transformation. So if you are a fan of the Netflix hit show Stranger Things, I thought of uh, some really good analogies to tie to digital transformation. And I thought I'll I'll take a pass at making this a fun fun way of tying uh, digital transformation and some of the the best practices and lessons that we've learned from our clients over the years, really tying it back to this uh, pop culture phenomena that is Stranger Things. And even if you're not a fan of the show Stranger Things, which if you're not, I highly recommend you you at least check it out if you haven't already. Um, I think you'll you'll get some good takeaways from it in a non-traditional format. And of course, in this podcast, we're always trying to 
be creative and find different ways to to unpack some of the concepts and content that we we talk about, which tends to be pretty complex at times. So hopefully that's a way to really simplify uh, some best practices around it, uh, around digital transformation. And then finally, the last segment in the show today, we're going to talk about cybersecurity and data management. We'll have Khalid Morris on the show. We're going to play a clip. It's about a 30-minute clip uh, later in the show where he talks about uh, cybersecurity and data management. It's actually a presentation he gave at one of our recent online digital events, which was called Digital Stratosphere. And by the way, you can go to stratosphere2022.com to download um, all of the sessions and to stream all of the sessions that we did uh, in that online event. We have about 16 hours worth of content, uh, 16 different presentations and topics that we cover. Uh, very diverse group of speakers uh, in that event. So go to stratosphere2022.com if you haven't already and be sure to check that out. So that's our show for today or that's the agenda for today. Um, to, so to get started, let's talk about this whole Agile versus Waterfall thing. And the way I view Agile versus Waterfall, and by the way, I'm going to come back to explain what each of those two things are. If you aren't familiar with Agile or you aren't familiar with Waterfall, I'm going to explain what that is here in just a second. But just to set the context, I view Agile versus Waterfall as one of those debates that I don't think will ever get settled. It's a lot like politics. Um, It's just something that you aren't really going to settle. People aren't always going to agree on it. There's pros and cons, and there's different sides to each story. And that's really what I want to talk about here today is what are the different sides to those stories? And, you know, how do we figure out and navigate what the best path forward is for us? How do we create that digital strategy that is most suitable for us, including Agile versus Waterfall? And just to give you a quick background, if you aren't familiar, the traditional way of developing and deploying software to organizations is called a waterfall approach. And the reason it's called waterfall is because it's very sequential. There's uh, there's very clear stage gates and milestones that you don't pass through or you don't pass on to the next phase until you've, you've sort of checked off in a certain milestone. And it's very, I'd consider it very linear, linear, I guess, is, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's not a word I use often, linear, uh, probably because I'm not very linear as a, as a person. Um, but that, that having that, that um, sequential events and view of how these sequence of events should happen. And I'll give you an example. In, in a waterfall environment, oftentimes what you do is you'll spend considerable amount of time upfront defining what your business requirements are. You'll define what your end-to-end business process flows are. And then once you're done with that and you get sign-in and buy-in and alignment on your sort of your final requirements, then you'll move into the software design and build. Once you get past that phase, then you move into the testing and then you move into training and then go live. But each step along the way, you're sort of making sure that you've done everything and everything ticks and ties and that you're prepared to go to the next, the next stage. And I think intuitively it all makes sense, but the problem that Waterfall has had, at least in terms of big enterprise technology deployments, is that projects over the years, over the decades, since I've been in the space, have gotten so bloated and they've come up short in so many different ways. They've gone over budget, taken too much time, delivered too much risk to organizations, undermined business value, in some cases completely shut down operations. Um, That happens more than you'd think and more than I'd like to admit in, in organizations. And so Waterfall has gotten sort of a bad rap over the years. And and I would argue that the reasons those things I just mentioned are happening are not because organizations are going through Waterfall. I think Waterfall has been used as a bit of a scapegoat. 
and we're in an industry that's always looking for new buzzy terms and approaches to sort of try different things, which can be good for innovation, but could also cause you to sort of bounce around and, and uh, avoid the root cause of issues. And in many ways, I think that's what's happening here in our industry as it relates to Agile. Now, Agile, on the other hand, is different from Waterfall in that Agile is more focused on it. First of all, it's something that originated in the software development space. So software developers, when they're developing software, will oftentimes, rather than having this grand vision that's clearly laid out of everything a software solution is going to do, is they'll start building stuff and testing things sort of real time. And they'll pivot and they'll adjust and they'll create minimum viable products. You know, they'll create a minimum functional product and then they'll start adding to that and building on it and make it better over time. Makes perfect sense for software development companies. So what's happened in recent years, though, a couple things have happened. One is that... uh, within the small business space and the startup space, businesses in general have started to move to this lean startup concept, which borrows from the agile concepts of minimum viable product and you know getting a minimum viable product type of business in place and then building on it and, and evolving from there. So it's sort of evolved into the mainstream. It's moved outside of just software development into the more mainstream business vernacular. And then you look at digital transformations and what's happening there with digital transformations is that organizations are now starting to use those same agile concepts that software developers are using and they're trying to apply it to software deployments which in some cases agile can work really well um, you know for a for a startup organization or for a small business or even a mid-sized organization that moves very quickly that has very fluid needs their business and their market and their customer ba- customer base is continuously evolving evolving very quickly Agile can make a lot of sense. But on the other extreme, if you look at a big Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 organization, big multinational organization, multi-billion dollar organization, they've gone out and acquired different companies. They've grown organically over time. They've entered new markets. They've diversified their product line. They've become somewhat of a hodgepodge of business operations and systems. And they've really are going through a digital transformation as a way to try to, um, as, as a way to try to, standardize their business processes, create a common operating model and become more efficient and just more scalable. In those cases, Agile can actually be a liability because Waterfall is designed to get alignment, to get a complete end-to-end view of your future state business processes before you start designing and building stuff. So there's this sort of pendulum that swings or a whole continuum that organizations are struggling with. Right now, the pendulum swinging pretty heavily towards Agile 10 years ago, it was swinging pretty heavily towards waterfall. The answer is probably somewhere in the middle. And depending on who you are as an organization, you might, you know, you're going to fall at a, at a different spot in the whole in the whole spectrum or continuum of things. So there is no one answer here, and I'm not here to advocate um, to advocate for one or the other. But what I did want to do is talk about just some of the feedback that I got on. Uh, LinkedIn in this in this thread that uh, I started out there and it got some really good engagement, some really good feedback. And by the way, if you're not connected with me or following me on LinkedIn, I encourage you to because I'm always throwing out questions and uh, trying to get feedback from the audience. And I love getting the sort of feedback because I enjoy it. I learn a lot from it. And I also, it gives me content to use in shows like this Transformation Ground Control podcast. So um, just a couple of things that I'll point out here. Uh, you know, when I was going through this, I got a lot of different opinions. A lot, you know, there's people that are purists when it comes to waterfall. There's people that are purists when it comes to agile, and there's people that are more in the middle, 
more like I am, more sort of, you know, I, I can I can moderate or I can move back and forth depending on what, what our clients' needs are. And that's part of the beauties or one of the beauties of being a consultant. But again, like politics, there are, you, you sort of see two extremes or you see people that dig in their heels, you know, sort of one camp or the other. And so it's interesting to see how people responded here on, on LinkedIn. So, you know, just to maybe give some samples of, of some of the uh, responses I got here. Um, Nathan uh, Genes or Genes uh, on LinkedIn uh, said that he completely agrees. He was one of the first people to respond. Um, Pilipus from LinkedIn also asked the question, what do you mean by agile ERP? Does that mean no need to follow the rules and still categorize it as an ERP implementation? Um, and actually, that was a really good question because on one extreme, you know, if you take Agile to the extreme, yes, that could be what Agile becomes. It could be that it becomes um, there's no set of rules. You just start building and developing stuff, hope for the best. And if it's not the best or if it's not fitting your organization, then you just fix it later on. Um, and again, that's a, that's the extreme, right? I'm, I'm giving you an example of what it looks like on the extreme. But on the flip side, if you take too long defining what your future state and then business processes are and what your requirements are and you can't get alignment on that it's going to take you forever to move into the next phase and it may be that that's why you end up going over budget and taking too long to deploy new technology and in fact that is why so many organizations struggle with that so when taken to the extreme on either of these cases by the way that's what creates a lot of the challenges that organizations face. And so you really do have to sort of pick and choose and find that middle ground, that hybrid of picking and choosing the bits and pieces from either side or either extreme that best fits your your organizational needs. Um, one thing I noted too in my response to Pilipus in this thread is that I, I commented here in this response that you know, you can you can take a waterfall type of approach in the design phase where you define your future state blueprint, you define what your end-to-end processes are, what your requirements are, and that's a very waterfall-esque sort of approach. But once you've done that, if you've done that well and you have alignment, you have the project team in place, you've got a solid plan, you've got the blueprint, you have an integration plan, an architecture plan, you really have the strategy, the roadmap, all the pieces laid out, then you can move to more of an agile approach to when you start to roll out. The problem is if you jump past that and go straight into an agile sort of approach, you're probably going to end up or be more likely to end up in a situation where you have misalignment as an organization, you haven't taken into consideration all the needs of the business, um, you're leading with technology rather than leading with business needs, and your people, you know, your, the organization and the people itself get sort of lost in that shuffle and they get overshadowed by the technology itself. And so the key here is how do you how do you leverage the best of both worlds? And that's really what I wanted to to clarify or, or to mention in that in that thread uh, in that discussion with with uh, Pilipus. And then uh, Christine Serrano or Christina Serrano on LinkedIn also made a few comments that were interesting here. Uh, she says, "Thanks for stirring these conversations, Eric. One issue I have with how agile methodologies are carried out." is that I rarely see real commitment to Agile values, such as putting people factors above process and tools and responding to change instead of following strict plans. Many Agile teams claim to be executing Agile projects when they don't even subscribe to these values. Consequently, they never really implement Agile frameworks faithfully. 
you can't take people wired for waterfall and expect them to be able to carry out agile approaches faithfully unless they learn to intrinsically buy into the values of agile. And that's a really good point because, you know, I think if you go even one step further, and I think this might be where she's going with that comment, is that if your culture is already very nimble, you're a startup, let's just say, or you're a tech company, then sure, you're, you're probably already thinking pretty agile and you're already pretty nimble and agile is going to be a pretty good fit for you. But culturally, a lot of organizations we work with are, you know, old school manufacturing organizations or um, construction companies, government, nonprofit organizations that have been around for a long time and maybe they don't move as fast as a startup or a tech company, or maybe they're more risk adverse, or maybe they're more misaligned as an organization and they're trying to get some commonality and some some cultural integration, some cultural alignment. If that's the case, then you don't want to just go straight all into an agile approach because that's going to be somewhat of a culture shock. So again, the point is, can you can you leverage some of the waterfall that sort of plays to who you are as an organization today, but also leverage bits and pieces or selectively choose parts of agile that can help bend the needle and sort of move you towards the other extreme, but not all the way over on the other extreme within that agile environment. So I thought that was a really good, insightful comment from uh, Christina. So thank you for that. Um, Chris Ironmonger also said an interesting comment. He says, I'm not sure it's so cut and dry. There are different challenges and different projects which require skilled and experienced professionals to be able to adapt their approach accordingly to achieve optimal performance. Agile isn't a one-stop shop fix for everything, but neither is Waterfall. So I think that's a great a great point. And he actually concludes and has a, a point here at the end that says, to say an agile approach is a bad idea for all ERP projects for me is too generalized and vague. And by the way, just to give some additional context, when I posted this, my original post on LinkedIn was meant to stimulate conversation. If you follow me on LinkedIn, I oftentimes will put intentionally put controversial comments out there to sort of try to trigger a reaction, positive or negative. Uh, from the audience. Um, in, in this case, I posted a video with a thumbnail and the thumbnail of the video that I posted says Agile ERP is a bad idea. So that was sort of the premise is Agile ERP is a bad idea. And of course, if you watch the video, I'm not actually saying Agile ERP is a bad idea, but I do say if you're going all in on Agile, it's probably a bad idea and you might want to consider using both Waterfall and Agile and you know using selectively the pieces you need, more of a hybrid approach. So, and I had some other texts that went along with it, but a lot of times people see that thumbnail, they see the headlines as Agile's a bad idea and that's what they're reacting to. Um, and I think that's part of what, you know, where some of this feedback comes from here, um, including uh, the point about uh, saying that Agile being a bad idea is too generalized, um, which I agree with, by the way. Um, another comment from CN, uh, CN Lu made the comment, uh, I started to overlook buzzwords like ISO, CMMI, Agile, and Waterfall 20 or so years ago. Um, I built on-premise ERP systems from scratch without any certifications of these high-tech organizations. Um, I don't bother to study the differences between Agile and Waterfall. I don't think there is pure so-called Agile or Waterfall. I believe both of them can coexist. And I think that's well well said. I, um, I tend to agree. There's times where I, I'll watch other thought leaders or other industry peers on YouTube, or I'll, I'll read comments on LinkedIn or read posts on LinkedIn. Um, and they'll get into sort of slicing hairs of, for example, you know, what is the difference between digitalization and digitization? 
Um, stuff like that drives me crazy because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter how you want to define digitization or digitalization in that example or smart enterprise versus intelligent enterprise, um, that sort of thing. So I tend to agree I'm not a huge fan of buzzwords. I think the industry creates self-serving needs all the time. And I think that is the case with Agile, by the way. I think Agile is the industry's way of saying, hey, look at us. We figured it out now. We got rid of this whole waterfall thing, which is bad. Waterfall creates implementation overruns and time overruns. That's bad. We use Agile. That's good. And it sort of plays to the human biases we have, which is that Agile must be good because it's faster, it's nimble, it's more flexible, it's cheaper. Um, and you know, as we uncover this and unpack this a bit, you find that it's it's actually actually not necessarily. Um, Anil says really great videos. Companies need to understand this, which I doubt um, many do. I completely agree with your comments. Um, here's another really interesting comment from Giorgio Bonacorsi, and he says it's all related to risk recognition and how to handle it. That's true. If Agile is poorly implemented, it can cover the lack of competence of management or the functional architect. It doesn't become a method to prevent and plan the implementation risk, but a method to cover the, as continual issues arise. So I, I like that comment um, in that Agile can oftentimes be used to cover the fact that you didn't have a solid plan to begin with, or you didn't have a clear vision of where you're headed as an organization or what you want to get out of this digital transformation. If you have Agile, it can be sort of a scapegoat or a, an excuse, basically, for the fact that you don't have a plan or you haven't thought this through uh, before embarking on the implementation. I think that's very true and that's very real. And I think to call out the industry here for a moment, software vendors and system integrators and, and a lot of ERP, if not most ERP consultants, will use Agile as an excuse to not have a solid plan, to not take the time to do the things right that they need to do. They'll say, hey, this is Agile. We're, we're, we're cutting corners. We're moving fast, right? Well, cutting corners and moving fast isn't always a good thing. That wasn't the intent of Agile when it was developed. So something to keep in mind as well. And then the last point I, or last comment I wanted to cover here, which I actually like a lot. I think the uh, author of this comment was intending this to be funny. I found it to be funny, but actually uh, found it to be insightful as well. And this is from Paolo Marchetto. And he says, we must grasp the gray area and call it waterfall agile. Um, and then I countered with how about agile fall? You know, I was trying to simplify it a little bit, but um, yeah, I made the comment that either way, I like the way you're thinking. So you know, I think that's really a good takeaway or, or sort of a good way to close up this segment or this thread is that you really do have to find where in that gray, gray area you fall. It's going to be pretty rare that full-on Agile, 100% Agile is going to make sense for your organization. And it's probably just as unlikely that full-on 100% waterfall is going to make sense for your organization. So the question you ask yourself is how do we define that digital strategy, that roadmap that makes the most sense for us? and then leverages the best of both of those worlds. So thanks to everyone who, who contributed to that conversation on LinkedIn. There's a lot more comments here I didn't get to. And in fact, the comments are still coming in today as I'm filming this podcast. Um, so be sure to check that out on LinkedIn if you are connected with me there. And you can find me at Eric Kimberling. Just search Eric Kimberling on LinkedIn. You can follow me there. And uh, by the way, uh, you may be actually watching this podcast on LinkedIn because we stream this podcast every week to LinkedIn. So if you're not following me on LinkedIn, if you're if you're watching this video or this podcast on YouTube, or if you're 
listening to one of the audio podcast platforms, you're listening to this podcast, be sure to follow me on LinkedIn as well. Another benefit being that you could also get the live, the live stream of the podcast when it's released. So um, we're going to shift gears a bit. We're going to bring on our first guest after a break. And that first guest is going to be Greg Benton, who's the Chief Strategy Officer at Third Stage Consulting. And uh, we're going to talk to him about digital transformation in 2025 and the enterprise tech trends that everyone should be aware of. So we're going to cover that here in just a moment. But first, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 73. My name is Eric Kimberling. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as all of the audio podcast platforms like Amazon, Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora. Wherever you listen to podcasts, check us out, subscribe, leave us a review, comments. We'd love to hear your feedback. I'm excited for our next guest, uh, Greg Benton. Uh, first time on the show, sort of. He was on the show one other time just a few weeks ago as part of a panel discussion, but this will be his first time on the show in a one-on-one format. Uh, he is someone that uh, I know through our roles at Third Stage Consulting. He's our chief strategy officer at Third Stage, but I've known Greg for about 10 years. Um, actually, I first got to know him on a personal level because he lives in my neighborhood uh, just outside of Denver, Colorado, but I've also gotten to know him on a professional level too over the years, and we've interacted professionally and personally for close to a decade now, and now he's part of the third stage team. So really excited to have him on the team and also excited to have him on the show. So Greg, thanks for being here today. Uh, thanks, Eric. Great to be with everyone today. Um, you know, it's it's really a pleasure to join and, uh, and bring some experience to the conversation and also uh, maybe contribute a little bit to the, to the entire day. So... Absolutely. And you were part of our, our podcast and our live stream a few weeks ago where we did a, a, a consulting panel discussion. So this isn't your first time on the show, although it is your first time in a one-on-one interview format. So thanks for thanks for joining today. Oh, uh, absolutely. And I, I promise not to bring any props today like the, uh, the balloon. So. Yeah, we were talking about, well, we were talking about inflated expectations was a, was a point you were trying to make right. around digital transformation and you had a, you just happen to have a balloon handy to uh help just, digital just happened to thought it would enhance the visual experience right? <laughs> right yeah we'll see what kind of visual aid you can work into the conversation here uh, today as well <laughs> um so your chief strategy officer at third stage uh you're relatively new right. to the company but um 
I've known you for about 10 years now and more importantly, you've been in this industry for more than 20 years. So uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and what it is you do uh, now that you're at third stage. What do you do at third stage? Sure, Eric. You know, I, uh, I really come from 20 plus years of implementing, remediating and um, deploying ERP systems and software. Uh, also managing the, uh, the vendor relationships with the software vendors and the systems integrators. But I've had the pleasure of working in partnership with over 100 clients within those years, bringing experience to bear to uh, really advise them on the path toward digital transformation. And that's what I'm doing here at Third Stage, actually getting very involved with the, uh, the dedicated people here in a really mission-driven type of uh, approach to uh, digital transformation success with our clients. And uh, happy to join the discussion today. Right. Well, great. It's great to have you here today and also great to have you at third stage after joining uh, earlier this year. And one of the things that's interesting about your background is, especially as we get into the conversation here today, is that prior to joining third stage, obviously third stage is technology agnostic. We're independent. We work with all kinds of vendors and we help clients select and implement all sorts of technologies. Um, but prior to joining third stage, you've worked in a number of different uh, channels or different ecosystems related to sp specific systems. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of the some of the technologies or different systems you've worked with over the years prior to joining third stage? Sure. I mean, that's a uh, that's a great point. I love to talk about that. Uh, worked in a number of industries, including healthcare, manufacturing, uh, distribution, um, certainly uh, uh, uh the, uh, the retail industry as well. And I've worked with uh, Infor, Epicor, Oracle, Workday, SAP, uh, many of the, the major software vendors, and also a few of the, uh, what we call edge solutions or specifically focused solutions like Kronos and workforce management that is now UKG. But in all of that time, uh, I've always maintained a very close connection with the ERP vendors in terms of access and in terms of their roadmap, but uh, also maintain that, that independence and an advisory relationship rather than a systems integrator relationship. And that's very important and key in putting together the strategy and selection process for a client that is looking for a solution that's gonna fit them, that's gonna fit their business processes, that's gonna be appropriate for them individually. So it's very client-centric. That's why with the, uh, with the third stage um, kind of place in the, uh, in the market and the ecosystem, it fits very well with that experience. Right, yeah, absolutely. And it's pretty rare to have that diverse background, that diverse experience in a number of different systems focused uh, roles and, and that sort of thing, which is a big part of why you're such a good fit. Uh, at, at third stage and that that'll give you an interesting perspective in our in our conversation today as well good I well so. so i guess if you if you sort of back up and you just you, you look at the last 20 years 20 plus years that you've been doing this uh in this space with enterprise technology um what are how, how have the how have the enterprise technology needs of organizations evolved over the years? I mean, because in some ways, I don't know about you, but in some ways you look back at your history or your career, you look back 10, 20 years, a lot of stuff hasn't changed, you know, in the ways organizations operate and the way they approach digital transformations, which in many ways is a problem in the space. 
Um, but there, in other ways, the, the landscape has shifted dramatically in terms of the technology and, and all that sort of stuff. But just in general, how, how would you say the enterprise tech needs of organizations have evolved in more recent years? Well, I, I think the needs are, are still relatively the same. So uh, organizations are still looking for ways to run HR, payroll, finance, supply chain. And, uh, you know, that's, that's unfortunately or fortunately been considered really back office applications over the last decade. And in many cases, it's just been what's needed to run operations, right? There has been no strategic advantage associated with the applications that, that run the business, the enterprise resource planning. Um, but, you know, fast forward to today, after, you know, a decade of, of neglect, the software vendors have been improving their systems and improving the way that they, they uh, integrate and interoperate. And that provides strategic advantage in terms of lowering bottom line costs, increasing top line advantage and competitive position in the marketplace. Uh, so ERP systems have really evolved into operational systems. So the enterprise operations now encompasses workforce management and uh, document management and uh, uh, banking and finance systems and automation in that direction. And all of those interrelated pieces of the operations picture can now be managed by either a single source uh, ERP vendor or multiple ERP solutions within a single corporate environment. And that's, that's where we come down to a, a new selection of platform as well as functional and technical systems within the uh, within the enterprise. And that right. really is a marked marked change over the last decade. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, you had, you had a couple points that I want to come to or, or maybe dig into a little bit on, on that, which, which are really interesting. One being um, early in that response, you mentioned something about competitive advantage um, and and the word ERP in the same sentence. So I'm just wondering, do you, do you see companies viewing ERP systems and enterprise technologies in general differently in terms of viewing it as more of a competitive advantage versus a necessary evil or just something they have to do? Um, because I think that's a, a mindset that that is important to digital transformations in general, just really understanding what it is you're trying to accomplish. Are you trying to further the organization and become more competitive? Or are you just trying to keep up? Or are you just trying to you know, have the necessary evil of implementing back office technologies. I mean, how, how do you view that evolving, if if at all, in, in the industry? Absolutely. In the past, if it was uh, not broke, don't fix it, was kind of the attitude for ERP systems. But now, uh, really, people are looking at bottom line cost uh, for supporting the applications, the cloud environment, the multi-tenant cloud, especially has uh, reduced the cost of operations. Uh, that brings a bottom line cost reduction that many organizations are desperately in need of. Um, speed and automation of processes. So taking away the kind of the manual uh, process of taking information from one system, porting it over to another system, crunching the numbers, and then making decisions based upon days old or weeks old information uh, really slow down an organization, right? 
So now the ability to gather information in real time from multiple and disparate different sources within the organization in one source of the truth is, is providing a real competitive advantage in terms of speed, speed to market, uh, logistics and delivery in, the term, in terms of uh, manufacturing and distribution. Um, the, uh, uh, the management of supply chains and being able to work with selected suppliers in, in order to uh, bolster the, uh, the supply chain to either a manufactured product or a service delivery is, has been magnified tenfold by the new technologies. So that's where people are getting strategic advantage out of their, their ERP or operation systems. Right. Yeah, and it, it seems like if, if organizations can figure out how to manage their transformations better than they have historically, then they'll be able to not only automate their back office functions and become more efficient, but also move to that next level of, uh, of value in terms of revenue generating activities, competitive differentiators, all that sort of stuff. But it seems like a lot of organizations or so many organizations get stuck just trying to automate something simple like just the GL and accounting. And if they get, right. can't get past that, then they're not going to be able to get to the point of a lot of the stuff you're talking about, which is truly automating the business, differentiating themselves, providing better customer experience, customer service, all that, all that good stuff. Absolutely. And that's the reason why developing a strategy and developing the objectives of what you want as an organization to look like in the future state is, is really important. It's imperative to, to actually achieving that in the digital transformation. What are you transforming to? And there's also a difference between optimizing the systems that you have along the way so that uh, you do a, uh, a lowercase t transformation as you're getting to the digital transformation that provides competitive advantage, that provides strategic advantage in the marketplace as you, uh, as you finalize what that end model looks like. Right, right. Well, good. Well, I, I have a few more questions I want to get to uh, here, but before I, I keep going with, with additional questions to build on what you, you were just talking about, I want to come back to the audience and uh, recognize uh, where people are joining from today. And yeah. speaking of automation and broken systems, I have my own situation here today where uh, for some reason the stream isn't, our, our software isn't capturing the chat um, the way it should for all the platforms. So I manually have it open on different devices. So I'm sort of demonstrating the pain of what can what can happen when technology doesn't work well. Um, I'm sort of experiencing that with everyone here real time, which is a great case study of, of digital transformation, I suppose. Um, but so forgive me if I if it looks like I'm looking at different devices because I am. Um, so I want to it looks like we have uh, from YouTube. We have someone uh, Clayton joining from Queensland, Australia. Thank you for being here all the way from Australia um, over on LinkedIn, which is the manual part I have to do here and look at my phone. Um, thank you, Yaser from uh, Saudi Arabia from being here, Kyler from Denver, uh, Malk from Manchester, UK, Sam Graham from Spain. Thank you for being here again, uh, Sam. And uh, those are just a few examples of where, where some people are joining from today. So uh, thanks everyone for being here uh, globally and as part of this global digital transformation community. Uh, Francesco from uh, Italy over on YouTube, thank you for being here. Um, and um, so I guess, and, and by the way, for the audience, before I keep going with my questions here, any questions you have as it relates to enterprise tech trends, digital transformation now and in the future, please feel free to drop that in the chat. And despite my technical issues, I am checking uh, all the streams here, as painful as it may 
uh, seam and look, um, I will absolutely do that. So um, when you look at um, the speed of technology, so so I mentioned before, you know, just my personal opinion is that the speed of technology is accelerating rapidly, but it, in some ways it seems like organizations are sort of stuck, you know, they're sort of stuck trying to deploy technologies the same way they did, you know, 20 plus years ago when you and I started our careers. Um, but in other ways, you know, the technology is changing really rapidly. So how's that speed of change of technology? How is that affecting organizations and how organizations, how do you see organizations dealing with that rapid pace of change, given the fact that people in organizations tend to change slower than technology itself? Well, that's a, that's a little bit of a leading question because I think that organizations that are looking at uh, making a change, especially enterprise-wide, are, are really just looking internally and trying to decide how can they move forward, how can they establish uh, governance and management of selecting a system and moving forward with the implementation and deployment of that system. And very often they, they don't think about um, bringing in a third party that has really done this literally hundreds of times to help with that, that process and that strategy. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's remarkable the number of people that we talk with that make a decision for technology reasons, and then they do what we commonly refer to as a lift and shift of the old processes into the new technology. And that creates kind of an equation that um, yeah, I've, I've used in the past, but it's um, new technology, old processes equals expensive old processes. So if you don't really look at the business process that is underlying what you're trying to do as a uh, strategic decision with regard to technology, then the alignment doesn't happen. The adoption doesn't happen. The change management is difficult. Um, there's a lot that goes into the preparation for an organization to undertake this digital journey that, uh, that people kind of pass up and just go immediately into the implementation. And that's where I think that uh, people get uh, slowed down, really bogged down. Yeah, it, it kind of brings to mind that, that term that I think it was, uh, I think it was Michael Hammer, one of the BPR, you know, process reengineering gurus or thought leaders back in the 90s, I think it was, um, he would talk about the concept of paving the cow paths and how, you know, if you pave the cow paths, it's not an efficient uh, way to, to run your operations. And by the way, I was in uh, just recently, I was in, I think it was Atlanta. I was in Atlanta or somewhere in the Southeast United States. And I remember someone saying that the reason the roads were so winding and aimless and easy to get lost in, although I can get lost in any city, uh, even including my own. So that's myself is not a good example of this. But um, in general, the reason why these roads are so disorganized is because they actually did pave the cow paths, which I didn't know was actually a thing. But um, Michael Hammer, one of these business process reengineering gurus, talked about um, process management in some ways as paving the cow paths. And I think that's what you're referring to is organizations that just take their existing processes that are already broken, inefficient, aren't well thought out, aren't strategically improved, you slap new technology on that and it gets, it's just a more expensive way of doing the same things without the value to come along with that. Um, so that's, that's a really Absolutely. good point. Yeah. And, and I, I think a lot of organizations don't properly prepare. They don't think about a, uh, a phase zero where they're actually preparing the organization for that digital change, for data migration, for integration with the new systems, 
and the legacy systems. So, um, you know, that, that is a piece that's very often missed and people jump right into software selection and implementation right up front. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really important point you're touching on there. And I think that's a, you know, you talk about tech changing on one hand, technology is changing, there's cloud, there's all this other stuff we're going to get to throughout this conversation. Um, so it's changing quickly. The value potential of technology is only increasing and improving and accelerating, but organizations tend to do what you just described, which is they go find new technology and they just rush right in and start deploying it. And thinking that if we rush right in and start deploying it, we're going to get value faster, right? It, it sort of makes right. sense, but the reality is you, you end up rushing and barreling down this path of the status quo and just putting in new technology faster to automate or to you know, put technology in to support the status quo. And that dynamic is, is sort of what you're saying. We, we typically with our clients will counter with that implementation readiness or that phase zero of implementation and taking your time to get that piece right. Well, think about the organization too, because you're going to spend the next year to two years implementing the, the new technology, right? With the, uh, the new ERP system. What do you do in the meantime? What happens to the people in their day jobs that are running the organization and the legacy system as they're you know, needed to understand the processes that are going to be conveyed to the new system and then being able to run that in the new system. Um, you know, that transition, that journey is, is very seldom really well mapped out. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of kind of strategy, selection of a true partner on the, uh, on the software side, and then get into a phase zero where you're preparing the organization for that change, for that change management, and then ultimately for the user adoption and use of the system in the future. Right, right. We're here with Greg Benton talking about the future of enterprise technology. We're going to continue the conversation after a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 73. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You can also find new episodes every Wednesday on all the audio podcast platforms. We're here with Greg Benton talking about the future of enterprise technology as well as all of the trends that you should be aware of. Uh, Kyler, who's our who's my podcast po uh, co-host, is in on this conversation too, and she made the comment over here on LinkedIn that uh, this is everything we're talking about here right now is sort of like digital transformation insurance. Um, you're, you're sort of insuring, <laughs> which I, which I like, it's sort of like an insurance it. policy to make sure that you are not only successful and, and keep the project on track and you, and you don't screw it up for lack of a better word, 
but that you take it a step further and not only don't screw it up, but you're actually getting value out of it. And everything you're talking about here is sort of a, an insurance policy to ensure that that stuff happens. Absolutely. And, you know, think about the return on investment too. You're not, no one's going into a, to an ERP replacement or, you know, an operational upgrade system optimization without having an expectation that there is going to be a return on the investment at the end of this, that it's going to be measurable, right? And so you really do have to put that insurance kind of uh, guardrails around the entire project and the deployment to make sure that when you get to the end, uh, your users are, are fully enrolled, is a, is a term that I use, that they're adopting it, that they are even agents of change in terms of the, uh, the go forward strategy for the organization. We want to get from here to there, and it's going to make my work, my life easier, simpler, better, and the organization is going to thrive with the new system. Well, you can't get there without a complete roadmap and following through with everything that you develop as an organization to get there. Right. Right. And here's a, I want to get to an audience comment here, which I think, um, illustrates or maybe helps us come at this from a from a different perspective or maybe uh, maybe it's a, an obstacle you can help us unpack here Greg but this is from Clayton over on YouTube he, he has a comment here which is here's our challenge not having an ARP is costing us the time we need to implement an ARP kind of like a pair of scissors that come in a package that can only be opened with a pair of scissors so I I guess you know maybe if I could take that a step further and, and flip that into a question for you Greg um and I think it feeds into what you were just saying that organizations tend to rush into an implementation. And in this case, I would think this is a situation where the organization is probably chomping at the bit, wanting to get a new system, new technology in there as quickly as possible because they need to so badly because they're so inefficient and they don't, you know, they struggle to find the time to implement effectively. How do you, you know, how do you counterbalance that? Or how do you, how do you find that right balance between, you know, the, the urgency of putting in new technology versus getting it right and, you know, making sure you take the time to do everything you're talking about here. Well, I, I think that's a, a great example, right, of the uh, of the the need to determine where you want to go and how you're going to operate as a business or as an organization in the meantime, in the interim. So you've got to you've got to do your day job, um, you know, while you're implementing a new software system. And the new software system and the, uh, and the platform that it comes on and the integration of all of the systems that you've been using that, um, you know, provide specific value to the organization need to be integrated in a, in a single plan, in a, in a go forward strategy. And so that is getting back to that, that entire strategy selection phase zero preparation for the organization to move forward so that you're not, uh, you know, in this case, you're not even paving cow paths. You're, uh, you're constructing cow paths and then paving them, right? <laughs> so, so, so that's, that's what, it, you know, it really takes that upfront um, uh, decision-making, establishing governance that is going to have the uh, kind of the shepherding responsibility for the organization through that interim phase between having no ERP system and then having a complete unified system at the end. Right. Right. Makes total sense. Um, so just in general, and I want, I want to, uh, after this question, I want to dive into some more specifics that um, we'll get into, but sort of keeping it, you know, at this high level still, 
What are some of the most important trends you're seeing in the enterprise tech and digital transformation space? I know you've touched on a few of them already as we've talked about these other topics, but what are some of those important trends you're seeing? I guess more from a, maybe more from a technological perspective. Sure. Well, um, you know, I will say that, uh, that I came from a, uh, an ASP background. So application service providers used to do what is now called cloud, which is hosting technology, right? Um, the cloud's the, a better uh, name, right? The, it's, so ASP is the same thing. ASP is, is pretty much the same thing as cloud, but cloud's just a better name and that name has really caught on better than- Cloud's a much name. better name. <laughs> and it also describes it describes a different process, right? Right. So um, cloud computing, especially multi-tenant cloud, is is an instance of the software in the cloud that's continually upgraded, and that's that's a huge technology change. the uh, The other piece of that is, uh, you know, there are there are multiple cloud systems out there. There are multiple on-premise systems that have to stay depending upon. You know the manufacturing process, or depending upon, you know, in, in the case of healthcare providers, connection with the uh, the EHR system or clinical systems, and so they need to stay connected and interoperable. And that's what I'm seeing as a trend: is that you really have to pull multiple systems together and have them integrate and interoperate. In other words, bidirectional information flow to have a unified system going forward. And one of the one of the changes that's happening very rapidly is people are looking for rapid time to value in terms of integrating those systems into a unified platform. That's ultimately the goal of a of a of a new ERP system, right? Is you have one single source of the truth for all the data coming in. If you can connect those and connect the disparate systems up front instead of uh, doing it along. At, at the end of the implementation, then you can derive real value starting within, you know, a couple of months of starting the uh, the digital transformation journey. Hmm. So that's that's what I'm seeing as an important technology change is that interoperability hub or central spoke of this entire process. Yeah, and you mentioned before in one of the earlier questions, I. I asked you, you, you touched on this whole concept of a platform um, and how companies or organizations are not only thinking about single ERP systems as they may have in the past, but now thinking more about just what's the general platform and what, what systems can I sort of plug and play and mix and match into that platform environment. Could you maybe talk about that and, or, and elaborate on this interoperability concept while we're, while we're at it? Absolutely. Uh, you know, a, a, a great friend of mine and, and really an industry expert and, um, you know, Eric, you are one, but this, this was another one. You mean there's more than one? <laughs> Describe yeah. all of those interrelated systems and the, uh, you know, the, the applications and everything that runs an organization as variously a, a haystack or a spaghetti bowl. And, um, a lot of those things are not going to change as you go forward. You know, you're, you're still going to have elements of the haystack feeding into a core ERP system at the center and needing a way to connect that. The, uh, the interoperability idea is pulling together all of those sources of information into one central repository, normalizing that data, 
and then reporting out that data on a, on a kind of a, a top end basis that um, that really celebrates finding the needle in the haystack. So that's that's really what's what's happening in the future is all of those systems coming together to operate the organization or to you know propel the organization forward need to interoperate, especially for that interim period that we talked about. So as you're starting the implementation, how am I going to operate from now until a year from now, two years from now, when my ERP system is fully implemented? That has to interoperate while you're getting there. And you think about mergers, acquisitions, PE firms, and you know the, uh, the bringing in of affiliates and other organizations into the operations system, you need a way to connect them as you're going. So be able to uh, interoperate as your organization is actually changing along the way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost seems like um, one could view ERP as sort of a central core, you know, for right. financials, inventory management, master data type stuff. But and that's going to, you know, be a be a common core that a lot of organizations could leverage. But when it comes to your specific industry or your specific needs or some of the more advanced capabilities outside of that core, things like demand planning or um, business intelligence, uh, even when you get into artificial intelligence and things like that, it seems like that's where you, you sort of want to build that sort of a hub and spoke sort of a, a model where you, you do have a core. You could still have a core ERP system, but you also need to look at how can we extend that core and add on different technologies that can that could expand that capability absolutely and and we've been talking about uh, you know some of the uh, the major ERP systems and some of the ancillary or edge solutions yeah. if you think about enterprise performance management bringing something into a, a strata or you know one of the one of the EPM solutions, uh, the, all of that information needs to flow into a central repository, to your point, that is a core ERP system, but then it, to become actionable, it needs to be real-time data that predicts what's happening for the enterprise, for the organization going forward. And that provides that strategic advantage that we were talking about in the very beginning, that new ERP systems that connecting new ERP systems as a holistic enterprise operations platform is is really what drives value. So, you know, um, the people that are listening, people globally, you can actually become an agent of change within your organization, pointing out how all of this can come together uh, mm -hmm. pretty simply, but you need to be aware of what's out there, what's available, how systems interoperate. And, um, you know, you need to choose a good partner to do that again finding the needle in the haystack. Right. And to find that needle in the haystack too, you know, you need a certain level yeah. of objectivity and neutrality, independence, all the stuff that third stage espouses and, and provides to our, to our clients. Otherwise you're going to, you know, cause I think if you talk to an ERP vendor and ask them about what you just said, they might say, yeah, yeah, but our software is the needle in the haystack. Just deploy right. our software. That'll give you all these edge solutions, all these hub and spoke types of capabilities. But I think, you know, anyone that's been doing this for long enough knows that ERP systems or no, no sort of enterprise technology can be everything to everyone. It's just not possible. Um, so you, you have to find the, the technology, the right mix and match that, that 
works best for you as an organization. Absolutely. Well said. And speaking of well said, here from from Ryan on LinkedIn, here's a really good question that, that I wanted to, um, that's relevant to what we're talking about here and it's maybe helps us build on it a little bit. But you know, again, I apologize, I can't show it on the screen because I'm having my my own digital transformation issues with uh, this our streaming <laughs> software. But uh, the comment here is, I absolutely struggle with the whole making your ERP the place where you store and do everything. I personally think you should have your ERP be viewed as plug and play. Let other systems who are strong and amazing at what they do just augment and make your ear that much better. Um, I think that's a really good, I think that's well said. What, what are your thoughts on that sort of that plug and play, you know, have VRP be a central hub, but you're still sort of mixing and matching or plugging and playing other, other technologies to get more value out of that ERP system. Well, Ryan, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you that it, it would be nice if you could plug and play the ERP system especially if you have uh, things like, uh, you know, an independent data warehouse where you're bringing all that information into one repository and reporting out of it. Uh, very cool. But I can tell you that the major ERP systems um, have really evolved over the last even, even two years and accelerated by the pandemic to include a lot of those kind of unified platform elements that can bring data real time from multiple sources within the organization and report out on it. So I, I think that you used to have to have a completely separate data warehouse or EPM, enterprise performance management strategy on top of core ERP. But I think a lot of the ERP systems now have incorporated, have acquired, have grown that uh, that capability as well. So that's where it comes down to, you know, what is the best fit for my organization? Should I have a separate uh, data management and analytics strategy, or should I have that incorporated as part of my ERP strategy? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great point. And you you've hit on and mentioned a few different types of technologies <laughs> that can that can help. You know, your data analytics and business intelligence. Uh, you know, CRM on the sales side, supply chain yeah. management on the supply chain side, you have HCM on the HR side. Um, so I think that's, you know, there's a lot of bank, banking. Yeah. Yeah. EHR and one, someone on uh, LinkedIn, one, in one chats, I was just looking at someone else mentioned healthcare and that's an industry, yeah. you know, well, that they have the electronic health records uh, types of technologies to augment uh, ERP systems as well. Um, so, what one of the concepts that you and I have talked about uh, over the years is this concept of the difference between uh, difference between ERP or enterprise wide technologies and enterprise operations. Could you maybe help us understand that difference and why it's important to digital transformation? Yeah, uh, ERP was really kind of a siloed um, uh, set of applications that would run HR payroll finance, supply chain, as we talked about before, really managed and developed within those departments, within those roles and stakeholders within the organization. Um, operations or enterprise operations includes all of those applications, certainly following a, an enterprise-wide executive-sponsored vision for where the organization needs to go and how all of those pieces will interrelate, interoperate, and integrate. 
so that uh, to Ryan's point, you can bring all of the information to a central source and use that as one, one source of the truth. Um, that often spans disparate and legacy systems that have to remain in your digital strategy and transformation. So, you know, that's, that's where <laughs> we really need to make some, some decisions about what that core enterprise solution looks like. And operations in, includes all of the ecosystem of applications and systems that run the entire enterprise. So it's no longer just ERP. It's no yeah. longer your grandfather's ERP, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's a, it's a good way to rethink, you know, what, when you think about digital transformation, which is part of why um, I think digital transformation is a, is a better word for organizations than just ERP or just, you know, plug in technology name here. It's because the mix of technologies to, to support that, those enterprise operations that you're talking about is going to vary, you know, depending on what your needs are and what industry you're in and all that good stuff, what sort of value you're trying to create for the organization. But again, you know, you get organizations that can't even get past the basic automation of GL and accounting, let's just say. If you, if you struggle with that and you fail in an implementation of a GL and accounting system and maybe a basic inventory management system, then you're never going to get to that stuff that you're talking about because you, you've, you know, you've uh, blown all your resources just trying to get something more simple in place. I th it seems like that's where a lot of organizations struggle, at least in, in my opinion. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, and, and think about, to expand on your point, global organizations where you've got a rollout to you know 60 70 locations all over the all over the globe uh, that are that are run by different stakeholders different cultures you know bringing all of that together in a in a central digital strategy or transformation strategy is is a, a huge undertaking but it it can be accomplished if you take the kind of localization out of it and, and develop a central strategy for that core ERP system and one central source of the truth, and then um, kind of dispersing that or delivering that to the, uh, to the remote locations in a hub and spoke manner. So hub and spoke deployments have, have become really kind of the norm, especially for global operations. So that's, um, you know, I don't know if that's directly answering your question, but, uh, but that's where I think I see things going for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it does answer my question. Thanks for, thanks for adding <laughs> to that. And here's a, here's another question from uh, Mitch on LinkedIn. He asks, often we hear start with the end. In, let me try that again. Often we hear start with the end in mind on determining what the goal or desired state to be achieved is regarding digital transformation. Is there ever really an end in terms of digital transformation? Or does it turn into an arms race with your industry and your industry peers? What are your What are your thoughts on that? Well, I I, lo I love the idea of an arms race with your right. with your peers or your your competitors, right? Who doesn't? But, uh, <laughs> there really there really should be an end goal in mind, and it should be measurable. You know, nothing measure nothing measured is nothing gained, right? So when you uh, when you enter into the digital strategy which is upfront, which is in advance of even that phase zero that we talked about. Um, instead of paving cow paths, you're looking at what does the end state look like? What is gonna make me as an organization more competitive, more uh, responsive to my people, 
um, more aware of where my cost centers are and how things need to work together to create uh, you know, a single product, a single service delivery, whatever it is, and, and pull all that together as a, 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 a measurable total cost of ownership of the implementation of the deployment of the digital transformation solution. And then a, a measurable point or a phase gate at the very end where you determine and you go back to the board and you say, these are the accomplishments that we've made along the way. This is the return that we expected. This is the return that we are getting. Kind of going back to the old time and motion studies that, uh, that you referred to at the very beginning. Um, you know, what is it, what time and motion does it take to accomplish a task today? And what does it take two years from now when I'm completely done with the ERP implementation? And that is, that is the advantage, that is the return on investment. So I, I think you do have to plan to measure it, right? You have to set up the goals, set up the objectives, and then measure it along the way and measure it at the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's well, well put. And I think that, um, you know, this, this thought that your transformation is never really over and there's never really sort of a, uh, an end end state you're constantly evolving, constantly improving, constantly looking for ways to improve. That's terrifying to some organizations to think about, <laughs> wow, that's, that's terrifying. Cause we just want to get over this whole digital transformation thing. Or if you're in the middle of one, it, the last thing you want to think about is just never getting out of the cycle of constantly improving and, and deploying stuff. But that's sort of how organizations need to think and operate uh, going forward is rather than viewing it as a big, massive one-time event, it, you know, may have some, you know, upfront focus, but you, you kind of, you know, you want to keep tweaking, and improving over time that, that sort of continuous improvement mentality uh, that became popular in the 90s on. We're here with Greg Benton talking about the future of enterprise technology. We're going to continue the conversation after a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 73. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You can also find new episodes every Wednesday on all the audio podcast platforms. We're here with Greg Benton talking about the future of enterprise technology, as well as all of the trends that you should be aware of. You talked about interoperability and you did describe it a little bit, but maybe could you just maybe summarize again for us? What, what is interoperability and how does it relate to transformations in the future? Because I think, um, 
you know, I think this is a really important point that not enough organizations think about when they think about their their transformations. Oftentimes, they're looking for that one silver bullet that says, I'm going to implement SAP or Microsoft D365 or Epicor Workday, whatever it is. And they think that's that's the answer. That's the technology that's going to give us what we need. But this concept of interoperability is different than that. How, how would you, maybe you could just help us unpack that a bit more. Well, everyone that we talk to is looking for, within their digital strategy, a, uh, a unified platform so that they can pull data and information in real time from multiple and disparate sources. Um, the answer to that is very often, well, implement a new ERP system, implement um, SAP, Infor, Oracle, Workday, whatever it is, and you'll have a unified system. Think about all the edge solutions or edge applications and legacy applications that we talked about that are, are still a part of the operations, still a part of the organization. The interoperability piece is you're getting information in a bi-directional um, uh, conduit from those disparate applications and systems into that central ERP system, into that central source of the truth. And that's what interoperability is truly about. It's the, uh, it's been variously called a, a best of breed type of approach where you've got, you may have uh, a different system for HCM and payroll than you have for finance and supply chain. You can't easily change that. How do you optimize that? By connecting the ERP systems uh, across, um, you know, an interoperability hub, so to speak. You pick one source of the truth, one ERP system that's going to house, for instance, financials and the reporting and analytics, and then bring the other systems into that in a bi-directional manner, which is the interoperation of those disparate systems. And think about, um, you know, mergers and acquisitions. They happen all the time. There's no real uh, predicting that. It can happen in the middle of an implementation. And I've worked with many clients who have found the, uh, the need to integrate a new system into the corporate standard as they're implementing a new ERP system, right? So in order to adopt that new acquisition or merger, um, you really need to interoperate with the systems that are going to be there in legacy until you have the whole system or the whole enterprise up on the same platform. And that's what the interoperability piece is all about. That's what's been missing in the past with regard to ERP and ERP system deployment is establishing that interoperability up front. Right. Now, how would you counter a, a either an ERP vendor sa uh, sales reps message or uh, this is sort of like a political debate, right? This whole concept of single ERP or interoperable multiple systems. It, it's just it feels like that's an ongoing debate that will probably never get resolved, just like politics or, you know, other other things in life. But um, what um, what, what, what do you say to people that say, no, why would you do this interoperability thing with multiple systems when you could just have one system that's fully integrated and ties together all your data, single source of truth, single throat to choke, whatever you want to call it? How, how do you how do you counter that or, or you, you know, what's the what's the trade off there that you see? Well, it comes back to, uh, to Ryan's question earlier, right? It's the um, it's really how do you 
how do you take disparate systems that, um, you know, if you talk to the software vendors, they can, they can tell you that, uh, you know, we can provide one unified system that is a source of the truth, that we can provide everything that you need in, in one shell. You think about the, uh, the software vendor and what their priorities are and how they're going to move forward. They can only touch one system. They can only touch their enterprise software system, right? Their, their platform. Um, the ancillary applications and everything else that runs the organization still need to feed into that. So organizations often find out that as they go along, they're, they're choosing a partner, uh, an ERP vendor that is doing great things in terms of HR and finance, um, but they don't touch the workforce management piece. They don't touch the Kronos, the APIs, um, the uh, document management systems. And so bringing all that together so it interoperates as, as one really requires that, that independent kind of um, third party high level view of how everything will fit. And, and that's what we offer here at, at third stage. But you, know, you, can, you can choose whichever partner or internally your, um, your enterprise steering team that, uh, that is really gonna help determine exactly how you pull all those pieces together. Um, the best of breed approach is often just unavoidable because you cannot move some of the systems that have managed operations and processes in the past. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you look at yeah. a, a manufacturer, for example, there's so many different applications you need to have, even if you think you wanna go with a single ERP system and maybe that's your your right. propensity is to lean heavy towards, if we could, let's do as much as we can within a single ERP system. And I think that's where most of our clients start is they, they sort of lean towards a single system if, if they could. And of course, in a perfect world, if there were a single system out there that does everything you're talking about, then sure, have at it. But the problem is most, if not all, ERP systems are limited in their capabilities. And so you end up trying to figure out how do we plug the holes? How do we how do we give ourselves that competitive edge or that competitive advantage back to the question uh, of one of our, our listeners earlier. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the big challenges. Um, Absolutely. And, and the ERP systems, the ERP vendors are evolving to take on more and more of those edge solutions, more and more of the, the portfolio of applications and systems that you need to operate as a business, especially within verticals and micro verticals, industry specific right. solutions, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned uh, Workday earlier, so I'll, let me pick on that for a second. But you look at upstart, relatively new or newer uh, enterprise technology vendors like Workday in the human capital space, or another example would be Salesforce in the CRM or sales automation space. Those are two examples of opportunities that were created because ERP systems couldn't be everything to everyone. So as a result of that, ERP is trying to be everything to everyone, but but these upstart competitors realizing they can't be everything to everyone and we can do certain bits and pieces better than a single ERP system. That's why Workday is so, so successful. That's why Salesforce is so successful in the CRM space is because of the limitations of, of these bigger ERP vendors. So I think you're constantly going to have this push and pull of let's try to have a single system, but in doing so, we're creating weaknesses and vulnerabilities unintentionally, of course. And so there's always going to be other upstart competitors, other vendors that are out there trying to fill those voids, fill those gaps, create niches or create capabilities that others aren't able to do. 
Absolutely. And the ERP vendors themselves are trying to, you know, get better and better functionality within their own CRM systems, within their own workforce management systems and deploy that as, as, as well. But they are also much more interoperable than they used to be. So the internet of things, the, the ability to connect disparate systems in that interoperability framework that we talked about through APIs, through, you know, um, movement of data back and forth has really made it so that you can have a core ERP system and you can branch out to some of these other solutions that you just mentioned as the ERP vendor of choice develops their own internal systems. And then you're going to have a, a decision to make down the road, right? Do we adopt the new CRM system that, you know, um, your software vendor partner has created, or do we stay with Salesforce? So, right. Yeah. yeah to come and you have to look at that objectively. And I think, um, you know, here's a comment that I think sort of ties this all together, um, which I really like, and this is well said, this is from, uh, sort of over on LinkedIn. He says, according to me, all ERP systems are good. Important is your consultant, how much they understand your business, pain areas, organizational goals, and how they can map these all for you. And I think that's really well put because I think that at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's about your business and what your needs are. Your software sales reps are going to have their opinion, their incentives, their motives that sure. may or may not be aligned with what it is you're trying to accomplish as an organization. So you have to take it for what it's worth. Take it with a grain of salt when you get this messaging from software vendors that say, no, no, no one's doing single or, or no one's doing best of breed anymore. It's all about single ERP. Well, you have to recognize that's because they're trying to sell you a single ERP system. It's not because that's for you. So what's the motivation? <laughs> right, right. So I think, uh, you know, that's really the key is let your business drive, you know, what sort of technologies you're, you're going for um, rather than the other way around. Um, so I guess just to summarize this all and, and to sort of tie this all together, bring it full circle as sort of a, a closing question here. Um, what, Given the fact that there's so many options in the marketplace, technology is changing so quickly, um, there's a lot to think about as you're defining your digital strategy and roadmap. And certainly as you go to execute on that strategy and roadmap, there's even more to think about. But what advice would you give to an organization that's about to embark on some sort of digital transformation or systems modernization initiative? Uh, it, it's really pretty simple. Um, it's, it's establishing that strategy up front. Before you make a selection of a vendor or multiple vendors or really determine how you're going to go forward from a technology standpoint, get your people enrolled, get your people involved in making the changes that are going to make the organization better and bringing that into focus. You know, I, I hate to use the word focus groups, but, um, you know, focus groups, workshops, understanding what the executive imperatives are for the organization. And then doing really a top down, we want to get to a new level of performance as an organization and then bottom up, here's how we want to participate in what the new enterprise system or operations solution platform is going to look like and get the organization moving in the same direction, right? Everyone's waving the same banner and moving forward without that full buy-in, without that, um, you know, kind of uh, unidirectional movement, um, you're, you're apt to fail. Uh, you're apt to have, you know, uh, uh, differing levels of 
performance and user adoption as you're going forward, unless you get everybody on the, on the same page. So that strategy selection of a vendor that is a great partner going forward, and then getting into the phase zero approach of preparing the organization, preparing data sources to be normalized and cleansed and put into the new system. Um, and also all of the integration points and how everything will operate as you go through this interim period where you're supporting operations as well as the project delivery. And that's very important so you don't overwhelm your people. And, uh, you know, that's, I don't know if that was a simple answer or I really just got into the layering of it, but it is, it is strategy before everything else. Yeah. And back to one of the questions, uh, one of the earliest questions from the audience that I, that I got to today. Um, it's, it's sort of like you, you need to, um, you need to avoid that sense. I don't want to say avoid the sense of urgency because we're all operating with a sense of urgency and you want to be act with a sense of urgency, but you don't want to act with such a sense of urgency that you actually create more complications and more problems for yourself that are going to slow things down later on. So in other words, you know, when you talk about getting strategic alignment or, or getting that strategy laid out up front, you also talked earlier about implementation readiness and sort of the phase zero of planning before you start rolling out those chosen technology or technologies. Some people may think in their minds, well, intuitively, that means I'm slowing down the project. It means I can't get to value realization faster. But the reality is the stuff you're talking about is actually going to speed things up. I mean, if you get alignment, you have strategic focus and clarity, you have your resources mobilized, you have a clear strategy, all that stuff. Yes, you have to you have to invest some time up front to do that, but that speeds things up so much later on, and it create it, it avoids so many other headwinds and and obstacles that organizations too commonly face. Would you, do you agree with that, Eric? Eric, we've seen that establishing an upfront PMO, um, a, a program management, a strategy, and embarking on a on a phase zero before embarking on phase one of the implementation cuts at least thirty five percent of the cost and time off of an implementation. 35% is probably extremely conservative. Yeah. So, so yes, to your point, that really does save time, money, and, and really for the organization, you know, the, the risk mitigation is huge in that. So yeah. organizations really need to, to, uh, factor that out. Right. Right. And, and I'll, uh, I'll take one uh, stab at tying this all to pop culture for a second, um, which I'm terrible at, by the way. Um, but I am a big fan of the, the Netflix show uh, Stranger Things. I don't know if you watch that or not, but it's a, a show yeah. about reality. And then you've got the upside down world, which is sort of like a dark, evil parallel universe of of the real world. <laughs> and it's sort of like if you could run in Stranger Things, if you could run two parallel implementations, you'd have the one that's in the upside down world, which is sort of the dark evil universe. That's where you do things the way that most organizations do it, which is let's just jump right in. Let's just start doing stuff and we're going to do it faster. Well, it creates, you know, monstrosities of, of implementations when you do that. But if you do what you're saying, you, you actually speed things up and things actually go a lot more smoothly uh, in, in, the, in that parallel uh, universe. So if only we could do like beta testing of two parallel universes, like upside down world, this whole stranger things concept, I think we could probably we could probably get to the bottom of this a little bit easier. But I think that's that's a really good metric to work from, though, that 35% metric is, uh, I, I agree with you, that is pretty conservative, but it's still very material. You know, that's a difference between a, 
you know, a, a, uh, you know, a two year project versus a two and a half to three year project. Um, and Correct. you're probably gonna get more value out of it too. That's the other part of it. Um, not only is it going to speed things up by doing what you're talking about, but you're going to get a ton more value out of it. You're going to create a lot less heartache and heartburn for the organization. Um, right. so, you know, that's a whole nother, um, set of metrics that are, are impacted as well. And less operational risk along the way. I was wondering where you were going to go with that analogy with the uh, Stranger Things, but I think the the next project that uh, that we're involved with, we should probably use that as maybe the name of the project, Stranger Things. Stranger Things. <laughs> I have that idea. And then there, yeah, there's a lot of spinoff uh, terminology you could use from that uh, from that as well. So, <laughs> oh, good. All right. Thanks, Greg. Good to have you on the show again. Thanks for being here. Good conversation. A lot to, to chat about. In fact, uh, we're going we're gonna to pick up on that whole Stranger Things thread when we come back from a break. And we're going to talk about how the industry is more like Stranger Things than you might imagine. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 73. My name is Eric Kimberling. And I want to thank uh, Kate Bush for providing that transition music there with uh, Running Up That Hill. Um, and if you're, the reason we use that song is uh, it's prominently used in season four of Stranger Things or part four of Stranger Things on Netflix if you're a fan of that show or if you watch that show. Um, if you don't watch that show, I highly recommend it. It's a really good sort of sci-fi show that's a throwback to the 80s. It has really good music. It's resurrected songs like that Kate Bush song. Um, there's prominent use of a lot of really good 80s music. So being such a big music fan, I, I tend to love that. And my uh, my the reason I got so into the show more recently is my wife and I actually watched the show as it was coming out the first three seasons. And about six months ago, or not even six months ago, maybe three months ago, our 13-year-old son decided that he wanted to try watching Stranger Things. And we had tried to get him to watch it when he was, you know, 9 or 10 or however old he was when the show came out. But he was terrified by it and didn't want to see it. And neither did our older son. And just more recently decided, hey, I want to try Stranger Things because he had seen a bunch of TikTok videos about Stranger Things. So we went back and binge-watched with him all the first three 
seasons again. And I liked it the first time I saw it, but I liked it a lot more the second time for some reason. Uh, it just resonated more with me the second time I watched it. Uh, Might have been partly because we, we did it more as a family uh, with the three of us. My older son still isn't very interested in it, but, um, you know, he's 15 years old and too cool for anything like that. So he, there's a lot of things that we do that he's not interested in, but that's okay. So anyway, so we got into the show and uh, really enjoy it. And it's uh, got a lot of real, not just good 80s um not just 80s music references, but just everything feels like it's just, I mean, obviously the movie is set in the 80s, but there's a lot of references to everything from the opening credits looking like a Stephen King cover, book cover. I mean, the, the font, I think, is the exact font that was used in one or more Stephen King movies. Um, there's just tons of references to, you know, E.T. and a lot of sci-fi shows from the from the 80s. Uh, a lot of really cool references to 80s stuff. So if you're a child of the 80s or if you were around in the 80s uh, like I was, um, it's a really good show. And the reason I'm talking about this in this podcast, you may wonder what does this have to do with digital transformation, is in the previous segment with Greg Benton, um, toward the end of that interview, I started talking about Stranger Things um, just coincidentally. And I thought, you know what, that's kind of an interesting thing to really build on and maybe unpack a little bit more in terms of how digital transformations in the digital transformation industry is a lot like Stranger Things. And I was talking in that previous segment about how um, it's almost like if you if you look at doing digital transformations right and the way things should be done, the way that's more effective, creates more value for organizations versus the way that unfortunately most organizations operate, which is they they do things the wrong way. They, they implement poorly. They spend too much time, too much money on the projects. They undermine business value. In many cases, they disrupt their own operations and actually create negative business value on top of the fact that they've also just invested heavily in new technology. And to me, it's all—it's sort of like the dichotomy between the regular world and the upside down world. If you're, um, if you're not familiar with the show, there's a regular world and then there's an upside down world. So for example, if you look behind me, there's green trees, there's a nice office building right behind me. Um, my office looks pretty nice and spacious. But if you flip me into the upside down world, if I go to that upside down world, I'm in the same place, but it's dark and decrepit and gross and scary. And there's ominous music and monsters and stuff like that. And um, not not a fun place to be. And so it kind of reminds me of, uh, of where, the way a lot of digital transformations work. And the whole show is about, you know, sort of good versus evil, right and wrong and that sort of thing. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, just to simplify some of the problems with the digital transformation space, that's one of the big challenges that organizations um, often often have. So, you know, if you're not a f- if you're not a familiar with the show or you just haven't watched the show yet, um, some of the other things similarities that are worth noting is that in the show there's some protagonists that are fighting these evil powers and trying to fight the the monsters uh, from the upside down world. You have characters, uh, the main protagonists are a bunch of uh, really smart but nerdy kids that play Dungeons and Dragons, and they end up being the protagonists and the main characters in the show, sort of fighting and solving the the riddle of what this upside-down world is. They rescue their friends from the upside-down world. They rescue non-friends and uh, try to rescue others from from the upside-down world as well. And and then on the in the um, upside-down world, there's a sort of a, a evil monster called Vecna, um, and there's also a dem, um, what's it called? Demogorgons as well. So, um, you know, sort of monstrous sorts of villains, um, that are trying to creep into the regular world to get people to take down into the upside down world. 
Um, I suppose it's sort of like heaven and hell in some ways, um, sort of like they're trying to drag people down into hell in some ways. That might be a good analogy. Um, but the uh, one of the main protagonists is a uh, character named L, which is short for Eleven. And her name is Eleven because she was taken from her parents as a young child and she was raised in a lab where they tried to give her, or they successfully did give her and train her to have these uh, supernatural powers. And the intent is, you know, to use it for, for evil. Um, these aren't good people. These aren't people using superpowers for good. They're using it to, um, to do bad things in the world. And in many ways, I kind of view, um, I hate to say it, but I view the incumbents in sort of the traditional software vendors, especially the really big software vendors, the big system integrators. They're sort of creating a machine in that same way, that sort of lab environment where they're brainwashing people, creating um, bad habits in the industry that are creating a lot of problems in digital transformations. And it may sound like a conspiracy theory. It may seem like a stretch to some of you, you know, making this connection between Stranger Things and the digital transformation space. And it certainly is a very uh, extreme, dramatized version or, or analogy that I'm trying to make here. But I think it's a good one in that be because I think a lot of the industry does struggle with a lot of this stuff. And so these big ERP vendor system integrators are oftentimes, um, you know, training their people and creating armies of people that are out there peddling false messaging and messages that mismanage expectations and mislead in many cases uh, organizations as they go through their digital transformation journeys. And they do it because they want to sell more software and they sell more software. The, the more software they sell, the more money they make. And there's companies out there, um, not all the big software vendors and the, the not all the system integrators are doing it, but the big ones certainly are. A lot of the big ones, if not most of them, are doing that sort of activity. I'd say the smaller and mid-size organizations in the space are a lot less likely to do that. Uh, when you look at some of the smaller and middle-tier software providers and system integrators, implementation partners, they're less likely to be as blatant about it. In some cases, they just aren't as competent or they don't have the skill sets needed to make a transformation successful. So they, in many cases, are contributing to failure, but not, uh, not in a nefarious way. Um, I would argue that some of the larger organizations, some of the larger players in our space are doing it in a nefarious way. They're doing it because they're out for self-interest and they're trying to sell software. And so, you know, one of the uh, things that I think is great about our industry, one of the emerging trends, just to build on the conversation with Greg a few minutes ago, is that there are companies like ours, like Third Stage Consulting and others that are independent, technology agnostic, not just focused on selling technology because we don't sell technology, but we're out there to help clients be more successful in their transformations. So in a lot of ways, it's like we're those nerdy kids that play Dungeons and Dragons, even though I don't know how to play Dungeons and Dragons, but I was a relatively nerdy kid growing up and focused more on school than anything else. Didn't play D&D because I was too busy studying. So I, I think that you could argue made me a nerd in a different sort of way. Um, but that's, that's one of the, the things to think about is when you're, you're navigating digital transformations, you know, there, there is, in many cases, right and wrong, and I hate to say good and evil, um, that might be taking it a bit far, but there are right ways to do things. And there, there is not a one-size-fits-all answer to everything, I, I will say that. So it's not like I can tell you that if you do A, B, and C, you're doing things good. If you do D, E, and F, you're doing things bad. There are some cases where that's true, but in many cases, it's it's sort of like a continuum. You're trying to choose the right answer for you as an organization that's somewhere on a continuum. And anyone that takes you too far to one extreme, one or the other, 
it's probably leading you down the wrong path. And if we go back to the segment, uh, the opening segment of this podcast episode where we talked about Agile versus Waterfall, um, that's, that was a good example of how, you know, in that discussion, I was saying that there's not a argument to be made or I'm not trying to make an argument for or against Agile or for or against Waterfall deployment approaches. But what I am saying is if you pick one or the other and say that's the right answer for everyone, that's that in and of itself is the wrong answer. But instead, what you have to look at is where on that continuum do we fall? So I think that's really the the sort of the, the difference that you have to look for. And that's a really subtle but really important difference in mindset shift that the industry needs to make. They need to stop doing the upside down world type stuff, to use the Stranger Things analogy again. They need to stop with the upside down world type stuff. And giving these one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter sorts of answers that are meant to sell more software and focus more on who is this company I'm dealing with, how can my software help them be more efficient and effective and create more business value, and how can I selectively, where appropriate, use my technology to help them get there. The problem is, in the self-interested mode that we're all in, oftentimes those organizations are trying really hard to push as much software and shove as much software down their throats as they can. And that usually just creates more uh, problems than it does good for, for a lot of organizations. So anyway, great show, Stranger Things. I highly encourage you to check it out if you haven't seen it already. Um, I, I'm a big fan. And, uh, you know, hopefully this analogy has helped as well. So I'd love to hear your feedback too, by the way. Uh, if you agree with me, disagree, you know, leave, leave your comments in the, in the chat below. I'd love to hear your feedback on what you think. Is, is this analogy relevant? And if so, um, how do you view the industry? How do you view it, especially if you're familiar with the show Stranger Things? Um, how do you view the industry in terms of how it fits in the regular world and the upside down world and the whole analogy I've, I've laid out here? Even if you, if you totally disagree, I'd love to hear that too, because that's uh, um, part of the discussion too. So um, we're going to shift gears a bit here in just a moment, and we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have Khalid Morris on the show, and he's actually been on the show a couple of times uh, in a few different formats. Uh, he's going to be on, after a break, actually giving a presentation on cybersecurity and data management, which is always a, an important topic, an important consideration, especially in today's day and age. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be back with Khalid Morris on Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 73. My name is Eric Kimberling, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday 
on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You can also find new episodes on all the major audio podcast platforms, so be sure to check us out there. Um, excited for our next guest, uh, Khalid Morris is going to be on to give a presentation about cybersecurity and data management. Uh, the reason I like this topic so much is uh, a couple of reasons. One is more defensively speaking, more um, you know, sort of playing defense, if you will. Uh, cybersecurity is really important because there are so many cybersecurity issues in the world today. And on the flip side, more maybe on the offensive front, looking at offense uh, within a digital transformation Data management is so important because organizations are sitting on tons of data, which is really becoming somewhat of an asset and a currency that organizations need to figure out how to use better and really unlock the full potential of, but they haven't. Uh, You think about the average organization that's been around for at least a few decades. If they've been around for a few decades, they've probably started to computerize their operations decades ago, and they've moved from system to system over the years, and with them, they've brought all this data may not be 100% accurate, it may be corrupt in many cases, but there is data that's institutional knowledge, it's customer knowledge, product knowledge, financial knowledge. If you think about all the things you need to know within an organization, it's codified within this data. Uh, but organizations have been sort of hoarding this data over the years, but they haven't taken good care of it, and they certainly haven't figured out how to, how to leverage and get value out of that data. So data management is really important, especially if you start to think about some of these emerging technologies as it relates to Things like AI and machine learning, predictive analytics, uh, demand planning, all those things are contingent on you having good data and leveraging that data to turn it into meaningful information that you can make decisions from. So that's sort of the offensive side of this whole conversation, uh, as I put it here. So you put cybersecurity, data management together, which are very much interrelated. You know, cybersecurity affects data, data affects cybersecurity and, and vice versa. And so this conversation or this presentation that Khalid uh, gives for us or has for us is a really good one because he covers both of these angles and unpacks what the concepts of cybersecurity and data management are. So let's cut to a clip of Khalid Morris giving this presentation, which, by the way, was drawn from our Digital Stratosphere online event, uh, which we hosted earlier this year. If you want to stream the other sessions that cover a lot of different wide-ranging topics within digital transformation. I think there's 15 or 16 different sessions. Um, so, you know, 12 or more hours of content, probably more like 15 or 16 hours of content. You can go to Stratosphere 2022 uh, to stream the event, which uh, there's no cost for you to do that. You can see a wide range of speakers presenting there. And this was the session that Khalid uh, presented on cybersecurity and data management. And by the way, Khalid Morris is a director of strategy and transformation in our U.S. office at Third Stage Consulting, uh, the company I work for. So let's cut to this clip of Khalid talking about cybersecurity and data management. Uh, cybersecurity and uh, data management. I, uh, this is a, a, a complicated space, um, uh, particularly on the security front. There's a lot of moving parts here, and there's a lot to um, uh, kind of sort your um, head around. Uh, so I definitely... I'm uh, happy to kind of be here and and, and to be able to um, at least provide a little guidance and hopefully hopefully uh, some of the things that I say uh, will be a benefit to those um, uh, that need. Um, we're really just going to talk about those two areas um, as a basic goal. Uh, we just want to sort of outline any security points for uh, a technological solution and um, uh, likewise um, on the data management side of this. 
we'll keep it um, very basic and high level. Um, uh, so, you know, we're not necessarily going to drive too much into um, a bunch of hard details. It's it's sort of like a, a black hole. Once you kind of go down certain windows, you just can't come out. You just kind of stay right there because there's so much to talk about in um, uh, any one of, of, of these areas. Um, but hopefully we can field, sorry, <laughs> field any, some questions um, um, that you have in those particular areas. Um, but other than that, I, I think we'll just want to try to give you a, a broader view of, um, uh, of, of what's kind of occurring. Um, uh, within the cybersecurity space, uh, these are sort of the three blocks that I, I really want to touch on. Um, uh, first, access. Um, uh, and, and, and access is a, you know, traditional, when you think of access, think about it from uh, access points um, for a, um, a particular um, technological solution. Um, those access points could be laptop, it could be um, you could be on the office um, or, or, or network system, or um, you could be on your mobile. Um, there's different types of access points. And so um, when I think of access, I think about it across um, some of the, the, the ways that we access um, our technological data. Um, uh, security from uh, the perspective of an application, I'm thinking, or, or, or most of what I'm sharing here will be within the context of a configuration. So that's a build of the um, application itself and kind of how certain modules are uh, secured uh, versus um, others. And then on the data side, um, how data security works um, uh, with respect to these uh, individual applications or an overarching uh, uh, structure. Okay, in terms of uh, application access, uh, application access can be uh, fairly complicated um, uh, nowadays. Uh, the basic parameter around uh, application access is authentication, either single factor or a multi-factor authentication. And this is sort of your basic passwords, or at least your, your basic password for the single factor. Multi-factor, they may have sort of that second, you remember a lot of the time, a lot of banks use this, where uh, you may enter your password information, but then they'll require you to um, uh, validate that with your cell phone or have a security key around your cell phone or some sort of, you know, some sort of a uh, of, of, uh, remote access key that you sort of have to enter in order to get into the system. And uh, it's, it's sort of a double layer and you sort of have to do it every single time. There usually isn't a safe space. That's usually what they're trying to get around is um, a uh, application that, uh, you know, or a lot of the browsers that might save your username and password and um, into their browser settings and uh, a user who isn't necessarily you can then use it. So that's how the, the multi-factor uh, kind of works. Um, on the client side, um, you know, an individual computer, if you will, uh, can have access, right? It could be a company issued laptop can have can have access to um, either a, a, a web-based um, application or even if it's not um, if you know certain IPS are accepted and certain ones aren't so if you're not trying to get into the system via um, uh, a, a approved clients then you then they won't allow you to necessarily uh, get into that particular system the other common uh, use on the security front is network security. So you can lock down the whole network. So you can only access uh, a given uh, application if um, uh, you are on premise uh, or within the overall network and outside of that network. If it's like a private kind of network 
uh, where, um, uh, you know, there, there are certain controls around that, uh, then you wouldn't necessarily be able to um, access the, the, the application or website, even if you're not necessarily on site. Like if you're just at home, you can't access it, but once you get on site, you can. Uh, and then there's cloud access. Clouds are pretty, um, if you depending upon how a, a given uh, application or, or, or technological solution is sort of built, if it's built within a cloud structure, then you do have the parameters of a cloud. Um, and, and, and this also applies to certain um, uh, web-based systems. So if you think of a system that is totally um, designed and um, you know, used in the cloud, it's completely 100% web-based, they are already are sort of automatically are subject to a lot of cloud-based um, uh, cybersecurity controls. I think though, one of the important parts of um, that sort of needs to sort of get mentioned as it relates to the, um, that is um, uh, on-premise uh, security is not necessarily safer um, than cloud-based security. I think that's a, a common misconception. It's been a misconception for years and years. I think maybe originally, it, it, I think there was some validity, validity to it. Um, but at this point, uh, there's not that much validity to it. And it's not to say that on-premise uh, uh, solutions aren't secure or that they can't be more secure uh, than the cloud because they certainly they certainly can. Um, it's just the likelihood is low. And a, a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, a lot of cloud-based companies, I mean, they have teams that uh, uh, cybersecurity teams that uh, that is that is their job that is the job of the team to secure the cloud. So you don't really hear about a ton of breaches. You hear about a breach every now and then, um, but you know there's probably people trying to attack um, us, uh, you know cloud cloud infrastructures or applications every day, um, and and they're not particularly successful. So there's multiple levels um, at the cloud on the cloud side where there's security, and so it just becomes. Um, a lot of layers for a, a given hacker to kind of uh, come through. So uh, as it relates to recommendations, um, I, I do want to make a note that, you know, and this is maybe it's just me um, having, you know, dealt in this particular space and seen a lot of different um, sort of build outs. I, I do think it's important to note that you want to be careful with respect to security and you don't want to necessarily create a poor user experience or um, a, a bunch of inefficiencies that uh, develop in your organization because you're almost oversecured. Um, I, I know that sounds um, ridiculous, but um, in, in, in some cases I've seen it. And um, all of this is going to be subject to a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the parameters that uh, organization has to work within. Uh, if you can imagine HIPAA, for example, if you, if you have to deal with HIPAA laws, um, then you have certain security measures that you have to follow. Likewise, um, if you're maybe a public company or, or something like that. So, so there's no broad brush here as it relates to security. I think that there's some baselines that have to be factored in across uh, every organization. And, and, and kind of when you're starting to work with an organization at this particular, you start to create like or, or at least outline what some of those requirements are going to be and you sort of attack them there, right? Particularly like a banking, they may have some different requirements than maybe a manufacturing company. But just in general, you do want to kind of think about how do you kind of create an environment where there is ease of use. I personally like to kind of think about it from a client access versus with maybe multi-factored if, um, if, if that's more desired or sort of switching it. If there's a lot of network access with quality security there, then having the security knowing that, okay, we can, we can do more single 
factor authentication because you can really only access this when you're on the network to begin with. So there's ways to kind of make that easy rather than create an environment, for example, where you got multi-layer, um, uh, multi-factor authentication and you have net network access um, authentication. You know, it's it just it turns into a space where it's like we're securing at every single level and it just creates um, it, uh, a, a, a certain difficulty when uh, trying to uh, get access to your um, uh, when trying to get access to an application. So um, that's uh, application access uh, in terms of configuration access. Uh, a given every ERP system will have some form of configuration uh, security. And um, I, I, I really um, I think the, the same point applies here with respect to being over secured. But but I, but I do kind of want to walk through a lot of these recommendations and and kind of how app, uh, configuration security kind of works, um, because an application will have a set of defined roles and i think it's very very important particularly during an implementation that um, uh, that those administration roles are taken uh, seriously everyone kind of wants to raise their hand you know and say now I'll, I'll be a super user or i'll be one of the administrators um, uh, but then you know the organization sort of starts to become dependent upon that particular role and if they don't necessarily if they're not available uh, to, um, for example, if you're one of the security administrators, um, you know, and you have to provide access to a new user, um, if you're not available or you don't, you don't really know how to do it or really, really want to do it, um, then it sort of creates uh, an issue within the overall organization. So um, usually administration is happening at every single module. There's usually some form of of security administrator for every single module within an, an, an application. And then there's some form of, um, of security administrator for the overall um, uh, application uh, in general. And um, uh, so it's important to sort of create um, what I'm calling the security metrics, where you have those user roles sort of outlined uh, across your organization sort of and, and kind of fit that and review that and make sure that the right people are associated with that and make sure that there's proper backup for um, for a given role uh, so that you don't create a scenario where um, you have this application and that that needs an approval and there's no one to approve or um, that role has not necessarily been defined yet or the person that's on approval is on vacation right now or maybe they just left the organization and there's no one there for for backup it sort of creates this um, again inefficiency um, uh, within a given process or within the organization that a lot of the times can sort of be be uh, be, be handled um, through uh, a, a a, a, a well-defined security metrics, um, you know, and, uh, and the unfortunate part about it is a lot of those security metrics are done in Excel. So there's no real notification process when an individual leaves or when an individual is um, uh, uh, um, on vacation. Uh, but just the same, it's very, very important uh, that you at least at a bare minimum know whose responsibility is what within the application or within a configuration so that you can kind of go to that particular person, uh, particularly when consultants are gone, when the consultants uh, are no longer in the room and you're, and you're responsible for the entire application. And this can be a problem. Okay, and then there's data security. I think data security is... I don't say it's often overlooked, uh, but there's I, I lump into there some of the integration components. Um, um, but uh, you can have security at the database level. 
right? So you can have your application grade, you can access in it, but then the data itself maybe sits on a server, a SQL server and their security points um, there. You can also kind of have um, uh, web service uh, security points um, where um, there's um, password sort of authentication uh, revolving around a given API. So what uh, web service can call into that particular uh, database to uh, access um, uh, uh, data, um, that security point um, needs to be uh, well-defined as well. Um, there's a, a certain amount of security that can be, this might be application specific, but can be around uh, individual reports. Uh, some applications sort of allow for um, that level of definition. Um, where you know you 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 have a given report and only certain people can sort of see this report. Other organizations may put it within the context of a module. I'm sorry, other softwares may put it within the context of a of, of an overall module. You have access to the module. You don't necessarily have access to a module or or specific pieces of that particular module. But um, I'm talking specifically about a data report here and uh, the use of that. Um, some organizations sort of have. Uh, 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 data points, uh, I'm sorry, access points around that. Uh, data encryption here um, as it relates to data, I think is a very important uh, detail. Uh, data encryption and then data um, uh, encrypting folders. You can encrypt the data itself so that there's um, uh, a certain types of, of, um, uh, of uh, you know, masking for the individual data fields within sort of a, a data a, a data set, right? Or you can sort and you can also encrypt folders where that data and where that data lives. Uh, the encryption of folders is critical, certainly for um, implementation um, uh, integrations. Um, uh, you kind of have to have that, and I think I I note that a little bit later on. But the data encryption for specific data within a database. Um, is a is a level of sensitivity that you know I think is a, a, should only sort of be reserved to certain types of data, um, and all of this for me kind of gets into the need to uh, really outline where your sensitive data is um, uh, because there's there's certain data within your organization that um, you're you're legally bound to uh, protect certain ways um, things like social security numbers credit cards et cetera et cetera a, a breach there could could be on a different scale particularly if it's um, you know customer related or or, or or something on that scale so uh, it's important to kind of go through your over all the data that your organization kind of has and sort of outline the buckets where uh, sensitive where sensitive data lives it's not all the same. And it's not all, it shouldn't all be treated the same way. And it shouldn't all live in the same place necessarily. I think that, um, I think we've, we've gotten to a point where we can segment um, um, certain parts of our data and it not necessarily uh, be a, a big thing uh, um, uh, with respect to your overarching um, architecture. Uh, so, you know, outlining the data that must be protected, outlining the data that needs to be protected. So data such as financial data, right? You don't want profitability to um, necessarily be seen. If it does, it's not the end of the world, but uh, you, you, you might want to guard against some of that particular data uh, or uh, some of the uh, salary, for example, data. Uh, you may uh, want, um, you know, one, you know, one, you know, one person salary, even the same level, you don't necessarily want um, uh, everyone to, uh, to to see that. And so the data measures around these buckets of sensitivity can be slightly different. And uh, that not that's not necessarily odd, um, um, per se. Um, uh, I think it's uh, very important to uh, have a flexible strategy there. 
um, to um, outline those particular data sets and then sort of apply uh, the necessary security measures um, um, as a result. So that's uh, data security. Uh, uh, now I kind of want to touch a little bit around data management and then we can kind of uh, answer uh, some questions here. Okay, we're here with Khalid Morris, uh, listening and learning about cybersecurity and data management. We're going to continue the conversation when we return from a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 73. My name is Eric Kimberling, and we're here with Khalid Morris talking about cybersecurity and data management. For, I guess, overall data structure, um, I, I think it's important to define data management um, because a lot of people use it. Uh, I, I hear it so many different ways. Um, I, I think about it as the whole suite. I think about it as everything data related. I think about it as any policies, procedures, uh, data structures, like everything is on the table as it relates to, um, uh, to, to data management in my mind. Um, I, I think as a, as a practice, and I, I rarely see this, honestly, organizations that have a data dictionary, but there should be certain uh, identification, understanding of the type of data um, that you have um, uh, within your organization. Like, like what is it? Like, like what kind of data um, is it um, in, your, or in, in your system? Is it uh, data that lives? Uh, is it role-based? Is it transactional? Is it analytical? What type of data is it? Um, is it structured? Is it unstructured? I mean, those are all pieces I think that uh, mean something. And um, outlining that uh, within an overarching uh, dictionary or really uh, architecture that sort of um, has all the different data models um, outlined within your organization is a good thing. I, I don't. I don't think it's necessarily a favorite thing to do, particularly within the IT community. Um, but uh, this 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 last point here that I have outlined, I think, is a, a noteworthy one that uh, a lot of organizations miss, and that is data is a very valuable asset. Um, organizations are making money around data. I mean, there some organizations are built around um, uh, reselling data, uh, your data. Um, other organizations' uh, data that they, you know, passively uh, give to um, uh, these uh, organizations, and they then uh, turn around and um, uh, create uh, marketing value um, out of those particular data points. I, I, I just say that to say that that approach to data should should be taken a little bit more seriously. I think within uh, organizations, and this is part of that piece, like understanding the data that you have, understanding. 
um, uh, the overall structures of the different data sets, um, being able to identify any holes in these particular sets from a governance perspective. So after you create sort of a process end-to-end uh, -end model, uh, all the different uh, data models that are there, and then kind of create this sort of process a mapping that uh, uh, shows kind of how data flows across your organization. I think you'll start to maybe even identify uh, where there's holes, especially as it relates to um, integration, uh, and then creating sort of a regularly backed up uh, schedule um, that's even absent of uh, maybe maybe you put it into your cloud environment, you kind of know where it is, uh, just in case, um, you, you know, you have to kind of, you know, call that data later in the event that uh, something um, happens. I think that's very, very important. I think those kind of strategies, I think, are uh, critical. Um, uh, within, I think, a well-functioning organization. And so, uh, uh, you know, data should be securely backed up. There should be proper locations. A lot of that, you know, should live within a cloud structure. There are usually um, ERP applications will provide some type of dynamic for that. One of the partners will provide some kind of service offering um, kind of around that. You should be able to just sort of do that natively through um, a basic kind of structure, even if you put a lot of those backup files into uh, an encrypted uh, folder or share folder that that, that you sort of have, um, that works too. But understanding where it is, understanding what it is and how it lives, I think is um, is, is is very, very uh, uh, important. So that's um, a data structure. In terms of um, big data, once you get outside of the structure of it and you kind of get into the actual data sets and some organizations not all organizations live in a big data world i think when you hear the term big data a lot of the times it's um, uh, really integrates a lot of the different data sets that are out there um, because you, you you can now you have or today we have more access to um, uh, to different types of data that we can then sort of, um, you know, bring into um, our current data structures. And that sort of creates this dynamic where there's just a lot of data to sort of sift through. But individually, some organizations have huge data sets. Um, used to do a lot of work in the telecom space. And, uh, you know, they would have these insanely large data files, um, uh, if you can imagine, because they have so many, so many customers. And, um, the transactions for those customers would sort of extend over years. Uh, so, you know, you would have these streams uh, of, 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 of data. So um, as it relates to that, I think it does still kind of go back to architecture a little bit and kind of understanding first kind of where your data is, and, uh, you know, and then why that data is as big as it is. A, a lot of the times it's not so much based upon you know the basic parameters around we have so many customers right like 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 yes that's um, a, a a normal use case for um, having a large data sets um, but a lot of the times it may be how the data is uh, kept it may be where uh, the data is kept um, certain um, uh, uh, databases may uh, may create a larger sort of uh, of um, um, it, it, it made the storage requirements for those data sets, for those databases, maybe larger than others. I really think of structured versus unstructured data. A lot of those structured um, uh, data uh, uh, storage uh, pieces are going to be larger. Uh, and, and, and as a result, I think you can potentially consider unstructured data if you kind of need to skinny some of that up. Um, why you would want to skinny some of that up is because sometimes big data can be a problem. Um, sometimes it can cause issues with respect to loading 
So um, a lot of applications that are kind of slowly loading or oftentimes loading that way because the data set is too large. Um, there are certain parameters around um, uh, applications that sort of a RAM, for example, that sort of limit or in memory um, uh, uh, it might, you know, sort of limit how large a data set can sort of be brought into um, a space to be analyzed. Uh, and uh, as a result, kind of, you may need to skinny some of that data down. There are ways to do that without necessarily, um, um, uh, you know, sort of, you know, removing your data, but, you know, there, there, there are ways to sort of skinny it down by just changing the structure from, uh, from structured to unstructured or, or having proper filtering so that we're really just calling the data that we absolutely need. Um, but there's some strategy that you can uh, incorporate within your overall design. And, and I think that strategy points back to what is the overall arching data architecture and having a data architecture that um, uh, allows for um, the need to bring in the kind of data that you need to bring in um, in manageable ways. Um, one way to uh, the tools that are sort of used for this is ETL. For those that don't know what that is, that's extract, transform, and load, uh, where you're extracting data from one place and you're transforming it. Maybe you're transforming it based upon a set of parameters. You might be filtering it down. You might be creating um, a logic around that to sort of aggregate parts of that particular data that might skinny skinny up um, some, some data. You might be um, creating calculations around some of those um, data sets to sort of uh, produce sort of a certain result. And then you load that into the system that you want that system loaded to. Sometimes you're just putting it into a skinny, um, uh, sometimes you're putting it into an encrypted folder for an application to sort of pick up. But um, it's sort of a more common tool um, that's used also APIs. It's not here, but an API is uh, also a, a, a means for um, calling data um, from a, a, a different place. Um, but in general, um, you know, you, you have to sort of create sort of uh, an environment where um, your, your your data isn't necessarily as big as um, um, as it uh, as is lean. You want to create an environment where your data is lean versus uh, unnecessarily big. Um, and also, you want to uh, if you have those backups stored, that's great. Uh, you want to delete as a result of that. Maybe if you have a backup and you have a policy that says we're going to delete. Um, uh, files within the application because we have them backed up after a certain point um, and we're going to decommission, you know, after a, a further point. So you can kind of have strategies that sort of create uh, a skinny or lean environment uh, and uh, the skinnier, the lean, the leaner the environment, the faster the overall application can kind of perform. Uh, so uh, you do want to kind of think about um, all of those different components. But um, just, just to reiterate the point, um, uh, big data can be a problem. Uh, it can be. A, it can create a lot of uh, performance issues uh, within an application, and 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 really bother the overall uh, end user experience. Um, but it also is a manageable one. So um, you know you can kind of create some um, uh, ways to kind of work around any uh, big data issues that you may be having if you deal uh, with larger uh, data sets. And lastly, here on the integration side. Um, integration is, uh, it's, I think, you know, the, one of the most critical parts of an organization's digital strategy. Um, as great as the idea is that you have one system where all your data exists, uh, where everyone lives in this one place and it does everything that we need it to do, 
um, the likelihood of having that is low, uh, to be frank, um, uh, you know, especially as your organization becomes uh, more and more complicated. Uh, you have needs that sort of extend beyond the capacity of um, an ERP system that that's that's working for you. And it doesn't necessarily mean we need to we need to go buy another ERP system. It may mean that. Um, but you may then just have uh, a, a third party tool that works in conjunction with your ERP system. And after that, at that point, you then have an integration uh, issue to sort of manage. Um, I think that uh, you have to design a plan uh, for uh, your overall integrations. And um, it's important to understand that this should be based upon your data needs, uh, not necessarily. I mean, when, when, when you know, people think about integrations, they kind of think about the tools and 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 but but they don't necessarily treat integrations a lot of the times as sort of a separate um, uh, requirement gathering sort of stage. A lot of the times uh, functional requirements are gathered. Um, applications are sort of selected uh, based upon that. Decisions are made on the functional side and integration is sort of a back burner. Um, but I can assure you, I've been on several implementations that have been delayed because the functional side is well, you know, well down the line of, of doing the things that they, um, uh, uh, you know, need to do. And the integration part is lacking. Um, integration is is a core part of, of, of all of this, and you kind of have to outline requirements for them separately. Um, if, and, and, and if those requirements extend beyond the application itself on the functional side, then you kind of need to have a plan for how you're going to uh, integrate those particular data points. I think that uh, those requirements can extend into issues such as and we kind of talked about this in a in a in a separate session. I think that, that Kyler was kind of referencing, but batch data versus having real time access to that that particular data. Um, those are are based upon your needs again, not necessarily based upon um, what's what's cool or what's ideal. You may not necessarily need that data in real time, and if you don't, then you know there's no need to spend extra to try to create uh, a customization or a um, an, an API. A web, a web service, if you will, that uh, can do something like that. Uh, some some kind of batch may be just fine for that. So it should all be based upon your particular needs. Work within the structures of these ETL API kind of tools that are kind of out there. A lot of applications will have uh, packaged APIs that they already um, have, are pre-configured to sort of uh, manage against. Others may not, and they may have uh, APIs that, uh, you know, that uh, you, you sort of have to use through a tool, an ETL type of tool. Others may, you know, other requirements may, you know, call for an API to be custom. Uh, in that situation, I think you want to avoid that as much as possible. But, um, you know, there are situations where a custom API may be necessary uh, to call particular data. But in either event, I think that's all requirement based. So it's very important that you outline with what requirements you sort of have. Uh, the other part to uh, integration is, uh, and, and most people have this, but it's just important to notice you're going to need a data encryption um, uh, strategy. And a lot of that will revolve around uh, folders, um, uh, encrypted folders that are somewhere in your shared structure, um, uh, you know, where sort of data is going to sort of live having a, a, a even a smart naming system for a lot of these folders so that you know a particular folder only has um, it can only receive certain data files having a naming convention for um, the files that are produced in there that that convention could be based upon the name of 
you know, the data that's sort of there. It could be a date that's it can be timestamp associated with that. It could be, um, uh, you know, some it could be a standard name. It could be a lot of integrations pick up a particular file name. So it could be a situation where you just name it, um, you know, file and 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 the integration knows to pick up the file from this particular location. And um, and the name of that um, uh, pickup file is file, right? So so you can uh, do this a number of different ways, and I think there's a strategy around what makes the most sense for the overall organization uh, when you're sort of outlining um, where uh, files you know should be and kind of what those names should be and um, all the likes. And again, all of this for me comes back to uh, the integration requirements and understanding what exactly are the needs of the organization for this particular uh, data set and uh, once you kind of define those i think the strategy and, and the other parts start to become simple um, a lot of the times this effort doesn't necessarily get done until you know until you kind of get into the middle of an implementation and i think it can cause some delays as a result uh, you want to get on um, this as early as possible and start to um, share early in your implementation. Okay. Thanks, Khalid. Thanks for that presentation. Really good stuff. And that's a good layman term definition of cybersecurity and data management, as well as some of the things we need to be aware of and some of the things we need to think about. So thank you for that presentation. Um, really good stuff. And um, like I said before, you know, before the clip, um, you know, these are both such important topics for digital transformations uh, going forward, uh, especially in today's day and age where, you know, Organizations have, have oftentimes or, or oftentimes do focus so much just on software. They focus on putting in a single enterprise-wide technology like an ERP system or a CRM or human capital management, supply chain management, whatever it is. They try to put in a, a, a single ERP system in hope that that solves their problems. And what this conversation that Khalid has really reminds us is that cybersecurity is something that uh, can undermine a transformation. And if you do it well, it's going to protect the investment you've made in your digital transformation. And certainly, you know, the data management piece is really important because you can spend millions of dollars on new technology, but if your data is corrupt or if you can't get meaningful use of that data within the system, why did you even bother spending the millions of dollars? Um, and then you take that a step further and you say, well, if you invested all this time and money and all these cloud capabilities that now give you the opportunity to um, leverage machine learning and AI and predictive analytics, uh, demand planning, whatever, you know, forecasting, all the different things you can do with good data. Again, you know, why, why invest all this time and money in a transformation if you're not going to get the full value and realize that full value? So that value creation, that value realization is really important and data management is a really important part or a missing link that companies oftentimes overlook in trying to get the maximum value out of their system. So, you know, both really important points and really relevant to digital transformation and even stepping back or going up even another level, bigger picture wise, if you think about it too, is, you know, this is another reminder that it's not just about systems. It's not just about data and cybersecurity, but there's all these different moving parts that you have to think about when it relates to your digital transformation. You have your architecture, the way systems are going to integrate, the way data is going to flow, how you're going to maintain the data, um, how your business processes are going to look in the future, how you're going to manage change and how humans are going to adapt to the change and how their jobs are going to change and what the jobs are going to look like. It's really creating a complete global blueprint 
that covers people, process, and technology. Certainly, cybersecurity data management is one piece that fits within that. Systems and applications are another piece, but there's all these other pieces too. And so when you dive into a topic like cybersecurity and data management, it really, in my opinion, helps you realize that, you know, wow, this is so much more than just putting in new technology or new systems. You know, if you view it as sort of like a, a building block, um, the, the, you know, you might have 100 pieces of the building blocks, but it might just be a handful of those pieces that are related to technology or software applications. The rest of the pieces have to do with other stuff like cybersecurity, data management, process improvement, change management, architecture, integration, all the stuff I just talked about. But yet organizations spend way too much time and money focusing just on the software application. So just a reminder that, you know, you want to look at the complete picture, have a complete purview of your digital strategy and roadmap. And the way to do that is to make sure that you have a solid and agnostic and objective and an aligned digital strategy that fits you and your organization and your strategic goals and objectives. Um, that's, that's one part of it. And the other part is making sure you take the time up front before you start deploying technology to really lay out what that roadmap is. You know, make sure that you, you go through sort of a phase zero or implementation readiness phase of the project. That's another topic that we covered with Greg Benton earlier in, in this episode um, in our conversation about uh, the future of enterprise technology is that you do want to make sure that you, you spend that time up front in that implementation readiness, implementation planning, the phase zero, before you just rush in and start building and deploying technology. And that should include things like cybersecurity, data management, change management, all that stuff. So be sure you have that solid plan. That's probably the biggest takeaway I could give to you um, as it relates to uh, Khalid's conversation and, and also bringing it back full circle back to the the first part of the conversation that we had with, with Greg Benton and going back even further in this episode, going back to the whole agile versus waterfall discussion that we had here today. So that's really our episode for today. I want to thank you for joining here today. Again, you can find new episodes every Wednesday uh, on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, as well as all the audio podcast platforms. Be sure to follow me and also follow Third Stage Consulting on all the social media platforms. We're most active on LinkedIn, YouTube, um, and Twitter, as well as TikTok and Instagram, although TikTok and Instagram were a little bit newer um, in, in those platforms, although I will say TikTok, I'm uh, very much enjoying uh, trying to figure out that platform and creating content uh, that's very different uh, for TikTok. So be sure to follow us on all those different platforms and uh, be sure to check out new episodes of this show every Wednesday. You can subscribe to us uh, wherever you watch or listen. Thanks again for being here. We'll see you next Wednesday on Transformation Ground Control.